Hi all and welcome to Rewind the Movies. This week we're looking at Mad Max, a 1979 Australian dystopian action film directed by George Miller. It stars Mel Gibson as Mad Max, a police officer turned vigilante in a near future Australia in the midst of societal collapse. It's an iconic film series with an iconic character and most people will be familiar with it. In recent years, there was an additional film added to the series, with Tom Hardy taking up the role of Mad Max in 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. On this week's podcast, it's myself, Andrew, joined by Prague, and massive Mad Max fanboy Adam Llewellyn from The Veil Cartoon. Let's just jump straight into the episode. When I sat down to watch this last night, it wasn't what I thought it was. And so, I'll set the record straight, I have seen this film before. But I grew up watching quite a lot of Mad Max 2 and um, number 3, Beyond the Thunderdome. So, you know, going back to what we've said time and time again on this podcast, it's normally what you have access to. And I had number 2 and number 3 recorded from TV. And, um, yeah, so I, I just, I don't think I saw this until definitely later teens, if not early, you know, university sort of days. So I sat down last night thinking, brilliant, I can't wait to watch this. I started watching it, and two things cropped up. One, I thought his family died a lot earlier. And two, I thought it was more of a post-apocalyptic sort of world. And it's because I was getting confused in number two. I'm exactly on board with what you're saying here. Number two is the best one. I'll say that right now. That is the best Mad Max film. But uh, yeah, this one's this one is a bit more low key. Well, you can tell that the budget is a lot lower on it. I, I still think it's a very good film. I, so I, I hope I'm not going to you know rip into it too much and, and people think I don't like it. But um, yeah, it was it's, it was very different anyway experience because I I had that moment where I expected one thing and I got and I got something else. Yeah, I'm on board with you, mate. I haven't seen this all the way through for about 20 years. So I was very intrigued to see what was going to happen this time. I remember the, I remember the first time I watched it and two scenes in particular stayed with me. And that's not even his family dying. That's the, the guy getting burnt in the car and him going to see him in the hospital and the arm falling out of the, yeah. from the sheet. And then I remember the ending. That ending has always stayed with me. Similar to you, there's a couple of scenes that stay with me. And one of the first scenes that I always remember is when you first get introduced to the bikers. Mm. And they they ride into that town and then they go after that young couple in the car. And that that scene's always stuck with me. But, yeah, I just thought it was a a lot more Mad Max 2, if that makes any sense. You thought Mad Max 2 was this this film? I thought it it was going to look like Mad Max 2. I, this is obviously rewatching it now. You can obviously tell this is this is an origin story. This yeah. this is how Mad Max becomes Mad Max, isn't it? Yeah. And for some reason, I I thought the first one was called Road Warrior, and then the next one was Mad Max Two, and then Mad Max Three Beyond the Thunderdome, and mm. obviously that's not the case. So I got I got my box set ready, and I went to pull out Road Warrior. And I was like, no, 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 actually, that's the wrong one. So, yeah, I, what I'm getting at is I've just been totally thrown by this franchise in the last 24 hours. Yeah, um, well, it's weird because in America, it, the, it was released as The Road Warrior, number two. It's not Mad Max, just The Road Warrior. But I think that one, <clears throat> I think a lot of Americans just thought that was the first, well, there was no film before it. There. They just thought this is a, a, a standalone movie. And number two kind of is a standalone movie anyway. You can kind of just chuck it on to... You can kind of put that on for anyone and they'll get what it is. You don't need to know about the first film. They have flashbacks of, the, of obviously, the first film and number two anyway. But, um, you know, you can just kind of go into number two and just carry on. And I think you should... I think you should talk about what you with relationship with this film because I know for a fact because of what you've been said what you've said to me before that this is a big film from your childhood so why don't you talk about about that can I just ask a question before you do and just simply yes or no from both of you 
Did you see this film first in the franchise, or did you see one of the other ones first? I saw this one first. I, think I, I saw this one first as well. Uh, see, I, I, I was always number two first. But anyway, yeah, go on, Ad. Well, well, Mad Max, is, I, I've always loved Mad Max, and I've... Um, I've kind of I've always owned them in some way as well. So I have them on Blu-ray now, but I have them on DVD and VHS. But uh, yeah, they're just class films. I mean, like one of the earliest, like one of the early films I ever got into when I was younger. One of the first eighteens I ever watched as well. I've always had a massive soft spot. I prefer number two to number one, but uh, you know, um, when I was a kid, I definitely watched number two a lot more than number one as well. But you know, number one is like it's it's all it's you need it to it's just it's just a nice origin movie. I still think it stands up brilliantly as a as a really good revenge movie. I know it's quite odd that the uh, revenge plot doesn't kick in until an hour into the film, and then it all kind of wraps up in the last thirty minutes. But um, I don't know. I quite like I quite like the world building of the first hour. And when I watched it last night, I wasn't bored at all. But it. it went by really fast. This film only feels like forty minutes long. This movie it goes by like really quickly. I I agree with you on the pacing. I I I'm I have issues with this film. Right, and I'm I was somewhat disappointed rewatching it, but that doesn't mean to say that I'm not necessarily going to recommend it or I didn't like it. But I agree with you on the pacing. I thought it was really well paced for the majority of the film. There were there were one or two moments where I was like, "This is dragging a little bit," or you know. But on the whole, I yeah, I think I think it's you fly through the film. For me, it's got that magic 90 minutes mark as well. Mm. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong, there are other films that can last longer than that, and I have no issue with them. But if it's around about 90 minutes, it's, a bit, it's always a bit of a tick for me. And I agree, pacing works well on this film. Um, it, it, I just, again, had that moment where I thought, his family still aren't dead, and there's an hour of this film gone. Mm. So... I can die already. <laughs> and there it was. We we come on to it in a bit, right? But um, the way that he sort of like the the woman um, gets knocked over, and then the, you hear the hospital staff talking about her, and you know she's not in a good way, and then they just throw in that oh, and he had a child, and the child's dead as well. It's just like what? It is it is a bit like yeah, hard hit in that bit. That's I, that's something else I liked about it as well. The stakes were real in this film. I think we've spoken about it on such, some other podcasts before about, uh, you know, you watch films and sometimes you don't really buy into the peril that some of the characters are facing because you just don't believe that they're going to die or yeah. they're going to suffer. So, But in this film, you know... Well, well yeah, th- you you build a relationship for an hour yeah. with, with, with the people involved. And, okay, his family aren't in it a huge amount. I, I don't believe anyway, but you're still invested in it. And then the fact that you know a very young child is, is dies and the and the and you know, the, the, the mum more or less dies as well. Um, oh, I but I tell you what, I was devastated that I was not going to see or hear that woman playing the saxophone anymore. <laughs> oh, I got them. It's my notes. Isn't, isn't that a little bit random? She's just playing the sax for him. And like, if she's playing the piano and it's a nice relaxing music, or she's just like strumming a few chords, you think, oh, brilliant. But the sax is like not something you just sit there and watch. <laughs> but she even had a bit of a head bob while she was playing it as well. I'm by I'm biased to the saxophone though, because uh, I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan, and uh, the E Street Band were. I look, yeah, I don't mind a bit of sax in in a tune like that. I just don't want to hear it on its own, and, <laughs> and me sitting five foot away from someone playing it. I tell you the problem as well. Do you know with the Australian accent? Do you know when Mel comes in and she says, do you want some sax? <laughs> Does he think it's something else? Who knows? Do you reckon, because oh, um, that actress, she was a late addition, wasn't she? Wasn't someone else supposed to play her? But she got in a, a motorcycle accident a couple of weeks before filming. I didn't know that. That's got him. Yeah, but if that was originally in the script that she was going to play the sax, they would have had to find another... Um, actress who could play play it or at least look like she could play it. Mm. So I wonder whether it's a late addition to the script. And originally they were going to have someone who could play the piano or play the flute, maybe. And she was like, 
I'll, I'll take the role, <laughs> but the only instrument I can play is a saxophone. I think it was. I, I think it was later afterwards. Personally, I reckon they are. I reckon it was like a weird thing that George Miller was like, "Oh, I'll just have him play on the sax." So, but, you know, it's he's like, uh, "Yeah, can you play any instruments?" Hoping it was going to be something like, I don't know, a harp. And she's like, "Yeah, I can play the saxophone." And I don't think it's a proper sax, isn't it? It's like some other variant of it because it's massive. What well, What would have made the scene very different tonally? Do you reckon an accordion? If she was like playing the spoons on her knees or something, yeah. you got to admit though, there's a there's a there is a bit of a comedic element to the saxophone. Not because it's a bad instrument or because I think it's a comedy instrument. I don't, but because of the innuendo implicit with the saxophone. <laughs> so when you see that she's just fucking piping out this saxophone tune, yeah, it's just. Yeah, I just found it funny. It made me laugh. I thought it was a stunning scene, and I don't think there's any problems with that. <laughs> I, like, I have no about. problem with it being in there. I was just taken back a little bit, thinking if Rachel came home tonight and she's like, yeah, I've dusted off the saxophone, let me play you a couple of tunes, and then I've just got to sat, sit there like, this is a little bit weird. Yeah, you got to break it to her. Like, Rach, I didn't marry you for your saxophone skills. For your sax appeal. <laughs> I don't know why, but in my, I don't know what the layout of your house is like, Andrew, because I've never been in your home before. But uh, you never go with either. Pod- <laughs> after this podcast, if you just hear like the faint sounds of some sax coming from coming from downstairs, and you just kind of walking down the stairs, and Rachel's in there, imagine some roses everywhere, just playing Naked, the saxophone, the but behind the saxophones, you can't make anything out. Like Jenny with the guitar in Forest Gump. <laughs> yeah. Well, funny oh, enough, Rachel's could... sister can play the saxophone. So um yeah maybe Rachel's um you know oh you married the wrong sister yeah, then I mean, maybe right, obviously <laughs> I'll have to ask her I'm gonna play her that scene from the film and ask her have you ever done this yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly I 100% guarantee that um she has played saxophone that far away from someone before <laughs> now my girlfriend can like Lizzie Luke can tap dance and she's tap danced in the room for me before yeah on request because you probably ask her you. You're weirdo. But she hasn't done it to sort of like entertain you or keep if, you sort if, of like relaxed, truly. If my life was that scene, it would like you would have a shot of the outside of the house with some like tapping sounds going on. And then the camera would swoop through the living room and I would just be like, for the for the purpose of listeners, I'm just sat there with my head in my hand, just like smiling. And Lizzie would just be tap dancing in front of me. And that's so I'm glad you said smiling, because when you did it for us, you looked bored. I won't bother at all. I have a big smile. The <laughs> listeners, I have a big rest assured listeners. I have a big smile across my face. I I was not. I was goofily grinning. Goofily grinning, right? Uh, it is my favourite scene in the film, but maybe <laughs> for the wrong reasons. <laughs> uh, look, let's quickly move on to some favourite aspects before um, yeah, Adam brings up the. Oh, yeah, we haven't done the. We haven't done the. How did everyone see it for the first time thing yet? How did you discover? Come on, then. Um, how did you discover it, Ad? Uh, I had a videotape of number one first, and then I taped number two off TV once. And I had, and um, I remember I put it on to record when I went to bed and came down and watched it the next day. And it was, and I that was the one I was really into then. I didn't see number three until later on, and I've never been a big fan of number three. I'm not gonna lie, I always found number three a little bit boring. Although it's got a great song to it, it may do, but it's still. A little bit boring, but, num- it, it, but it's not—it's not a terrible film. But I just it, I think because number two is so exciting, number three is much longer as well, and it's a little bit too talky for me. It, it's a little bit more commercial in my mind. Yeah. Number three, like number number one, is quite gritty and it's quite independent looking. Number yeah. two is a sort of halfway house between it, but number two is a great film. Um, I have sort of like yeah, I don't remember. Remember the first time I watched it? Like, I think I said earlier, I was probably in my later teens, maybe university. There's a family story around this film for me as well, because um, I don't know about you guys, but um, when you were younger, did you ever used to go to Puff Call a lot at summertime? Yeah. Like, was it always Puff Call? But obviously, before I was born, um, or my, fam- my family still went to Puff Call every summer. And we did to the, well to the fair you're on about, yeah? To the fair, yeah, yeah. But they used to have a cinema there in the fair, and like, 
I always remember my grandfather used to always tell this story about when they first opened the cinema down there and how um, him and my uncle and my mother and stuff all went in to watch a double bill of Mad Max 1 and Enter the Dragon. And we're always saying, they were always like, oh, it was the best. They, my grandfather was like, he's always saying, these are the two best films you can ever see. I think it's because he had the memory around it as well. So when this time I got to see Enter the Dragon, I just always kind of thought, oh, it was one of those... Uh, of coal films my uh, grandfather always talks about it's a uh, mad max for you and i always and i just always remember that yeah it's funny i don't necessarily have an affiliation with it at all but but yeah just as number two was one that i recorded from tv and that was about it it was one of those ones that was always on itv one i just always remember late at night you'd flick on and this would, was probably on tv how about you frog what did you first ever see him Right, well, same as Andrew, really. Probably yeah. maybe a year or two before him, but it was off TV. What certificate do you think Mad Max should be now? Fifteen. Yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't be an eighteen. Was it? It was an eighteen at the time. I'm assuming was it? It's still eighteen now, and oh, it got no. reissued a while ago on 4K, and it's still eighteen. One... Why would it be eighteen? I, I don't know. I watched it going. This isn't. This doesn't deserve an eighteen because Fury Road is fifteen, and I'm like Fury Road's a bit more. A bit yeah. more messed up in part as well. Well, you know, Fury Road isn't a Mad Max film, but that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> I'm not getting into that with you now. They've, they've announced a fifth one, haven't they? Furiosa, yeah. Furiosa, yeah. I'll be watching that. I love, I love George Miller, man. I think he's a great director. Did George Miller do Fury Road? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, done, he's done all of them. And they obviously he did the Babe films as well on Happy Feet. <laughs> How different though, isn't it? What a weird filmography. Was this one of his first films, if not his first film? So George Miller was a doctor, basically. He was a doctor, and um, he was he, one of his jobs is um, as a doctor for for A and E in Australia. Um, I think what in, what he says inspired this film was when people were coming in after having bad road traffic accidents. And I think him, I, I might be wrong with this. I'm pretty sure him and the screenwriter were both doctors, and then they wrote this film together, and then they just kind of like. We're like, oh, should we? They just made a go for it and made the movie then. So obviously, that's when his doctor days ended, and he went on to become a film director instead. Because the film itself has a relatively low budget, doesn't it? It's yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's something like four hundred Australian dollars, four hundred thousand, yeah, which I think equates yeah. to about three hundred US dollars. I think yeah. I did the maths on that the other day. But the, the one of the things that I heard was that he. You know, they they were short on money, and he then supplemented working on this film while also working as an A and E doctor. Yeah, well, like at the time, Australian Australia was like they had that. Um, they were selling a lot of films, so the um, American Grindhouse market. So they had like um, you had like obviously Mad Max, which don't know. We had films like you had films like um, Stone Razorback. Um, they had, it was just all there's a documentary about it called Not Quite Hollywood, which you can watch. It's kind of like really goes into all of those old films from back in the day. Um, there's another one I'm always trying to remember. That it was um, Waking Frights. That's a big, that's a really popular one as well. And like, is it Long Weekend? Anyway, I'm just rambling. But like, I think it just kind of, because it had the cars and stuff in it, it was kind of an action film. They were able to sell it to an American market and that's what, and I, mean, I think, because the film did fairly well on the sort of like grindhouse exploitation market, they had a bigger budget for Road Warrior or Mad Max 2. And yeah, I think that's what catapulted. I don't. I think if it wasn't for Mad Max Two, I don't think we'll be talking about Mad Max One now. I think it would have just kind of. It, not saying it should have, but it, I think it would have just kind of fallen into the um, just kind of like become a bit more obscure over the years. I think it's Mad Max Two, but just kind of give it a stay in power. Well, th- this film supposedly box office was a hundred million. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it held it the well. record within Guinness, I don't know if it still does, as the most profitable film ever. Well, if it is, if it's coming off a 400 grand budget and it made like, yeah, well, yes, it's not hard to be in profit after that, right? So, Well, at some point, George Miller was paying some of the crew members in beer or slabs, as they call them over there. What I will say, though, right, this isn't the first, because I have to give this film credit as well. This film always gets like the... um, the sort of accolade of being the first, the first big post-apocalyptic sort of film um, out of Australia, but it, it wasn't. It was a film made a couple of years before. Have you ever seen a boy and his dog? Have you ever seen that? 
it's like it's a really good film. It's about like this um set in Australia. It's like the apocalypse. It's about this like fourteen year old boy and his like pet dog, and they're like two of the last people left on Earth, and everyone else alive are like savages. But like, so you're classing the dog as a person there, you had? Yeah, the two beings on Earth. Basically, it's bingo in Australia post apocalypse. <laughs> It's it's a lot better than Bingo. It's got like let's look at it. It's got like a it's got a it's got a lot of respect for this film. As a boy and his dog from nineteen seventy five. Here we are. It's got oh it's got seventy six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's good. More than Bingo, but it's a good it's a really good film. It's a really like decent film that one is. And um, I'm not you know it might not have enough in. It's it's quite obscure, so maybe not not maybe not worthy of a, a rewind the movies episode there. But uh, I, I'm fairly certain this that was totally. It's got Don Johnson in it. Yeah. It's an Australian, like, exploitation film, though. What? But I'm pretty sure about this film, George Miller cites as being, like, some of the influence of Mad Max. It's a good film, though. I watched it. I've seen, I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, but I remember it being, like, a really, like, cool film. All right. May- maybe we need to do it. If we did um, Bingo, maybe <laughs> well, we'll um, dig-, dig it out. It's a good film. Yeah, maybe we will do it. All right, let's bring this back to Mad Max. Um, Favourite aspect. I'm going to start with a couple. I love the beginning for one reason. It says, a few years from now. And I yeah. love it when a film does that because it doesn't sort of time stamp Yeah, yeah. Because look at all of our favourite films, right? Um, or my favourite films. Back to the Future. They go to um, 2015, I believe. Mm. You've got... Terminator, they go to 1995. They also go some other, you know, time in the future where Skynet is hit. Um, yeah, you've got Running Man, 1997. You've got um, Demolition Man. Oh, we're a few years off Demolition Man, I think. I think that's, that's like 2032 or something. But all I'm saying is, at some point, you get, you get to it, or that passage in time, and that film becomes just a little bit less credible. Are creditable. Do you, do you think it's a bit weird now because they they're still making Terminator films and we've kind of they kept they're coming out now. We've gone years years past what they're predicting the sort of um, end of the world to be. What's the year in Terminator? Is it like twenty twenty? Or no, it's not twenty twenty. It's like 2010 or something. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely past the the, um, the bit in in I think Terminator two because we did it recently. It was nineteen ninety seven, I believe, or ninety five. No, in 97 when Skynet was supposed to first... Yeah, first come online or first do something. Yeah. I can't remember, whatever it was. It's actually, it's actually 2029 when Skynet take over, so we ain't there yet. No, it's 2029 when they come back, isn't it? Where they come back from, sorry. Yeah, there we are. Um, right, I'm going to crack on with my other favourite aspects. Um, I, I quite like the sound and the score and the feel of the film. It's got, like I said, at times, a bit of a 70s horror feel about it because yeah. of the way the, the um you know the soundtrack is and also the film feels a little bit to me anyway clockwork orange-esque because of the uh, weird costume design stuff. weird costumes and just the biker gang and just you know the, their attitude and what have you well i reckon some of the costumes in this film i see people walking around cardiff wearing that stuff to this day <laughs> like some of the hipster stuff some of the hipster clothes in there like the guy with the love heart glasses, I'm like, that's kind of a popular look now. I I'm I go along with I'm gonna expand on that a little bit in terms of the look and feel of the film. I think for the budget, they've got the most out of it. George Miller. You can you can obviously you can tell watching it now that it's a low budget film. They they try to make a stretch as far as they could. I mean, you only have to watch Mad Max Fury Road to see what he actually wanted to accomplish. Um, I'd be interested to go back and watch two and three to see how far he took it from this, the original film. Well, I, I but think you can this... tell that you can tell that they're dri- just driving on normal Australian roads in the outback and all that. You know, they they haven't been able to do a lot with the set design, but with the costumes and characters and the cars, yes, they have. Well, they didn't I... have permits, did they, for the roads? No, they, and they, they were literally like having favors off the police to close a road. I always caught the vibe though that like I, I might have heard this before, but like I think Mad Max Two was pretty much the film he wanted to make in place of this one, but couldn't because of the budget. So then 
because when you watch Mad Max 2, it is very similar to this, but they just, they get over the revenge thing very, like, quick, straight away. Like, you get a flashback in the first 10 minutes about what happened in the first film. And then the film is all just car chases. And I've always, I, I swear I read before, but he was a bit like, I wanted to make Mad Max 2 first, but I had to strip it all down and just make a nuts and bolts like Mad Max 1 first, because he just didn't have the kind of money to do it. And then, um, yeah, kind of a weird one. But is it? But you used to get that back in the day, didn't you? I mean, like, when a sequel would be kind of a remake of the first one. Like, Evil Dead 2 is pretty much a remake of Evil Dead 1. Do you know what I mean? Like, you kind of... Yeah. It used to happen a bit more in the 80s, but they don't really... I think it's because there were so much low-budget films being made by, well, obviously, people like Sam Raimi and George Miller with these big, epic visions. And when they finally got some money, then they were like, okay, now I'm going to just make the film again. But call it number two. It's really weird. Can I give you my favourite aspect? You can, mate. Ghosts. I love him in this. I think I personally, when you're watching it, if you watch this for the first time and you didn't know who Mel was, you didn't know, you know, in the film weren't called Mad Max, I swear you would think for the first 40, 50 minutes, the film was about Goose. Because he is so charismatic. He has a lot more about him, doesn't he? Yes. And it wouldn't surprise me if he has more dialogue in the overall film than Mel Gibson does. Mm. Doesn't Mel Gibson only have something like 16 lines of dialogue? I could be wrong on that, but it is, the amount of dialogue isn't a huge amount from him. Yeah. And I, I obviously, I know I know for a fact Adam's going to start eulogising about Mel in a minute, so I'm just going to let him go off on it. That's why I was kind of wanting to bring Goose up as well, because I, I think Steve Bisley is really good in that role. I was trying to place him, and I couldn't. Well, he's been in a few Australian dramas. He was in Doctor Doctor. No, I know Flying Doctors. That, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, he's, so, he's mainly just had a, his career has mainly stayed in Australia, have not it? Like, like the guy who played Toe Cutter is the same as well. His career was mainly. Wait, which so, one was Toe Cutter? He's the leader. So, one of one eye, bro. Who's his right hand man? The nutter. Who's got blonde hair and looks a little bit like. Bill Collins. No, it's Jeff, right, it's Jeff. His name's Jeff Parry, and he played a character called Bubba Zanetti. Yeah, uh, him. Because um, he uh, reminds me of... What's his name? Pertriar. I can't remember his f- first name. Well, um, my favourite aspect for me is... Uh, just the, I, I love car chase films. I love car chases. So, like, um, I, love, I love the stuff on the road. I love the way they film cars in this film. Oh, the editing is one of my favourite things in this film. I think the editing is, like outstanding but especially for such a low budget movie like I love the eye popping stuff as well and you could just tell that like George Miller's a big a big fan of like Sam Peck and Parlin films like the Wild Bunch and stuff when you watch the way the films cut together it's really phonetic edit- editing and um it's it's I just, I I know I just I just I just love like so I just sometimes it just goes in these really weird sort of like tangents as well and I kind of like that about it just I don't know how to describe it but like the way the gangs just kind of like, whenever they're walking out of a shop, they're just rolling around on the floor and stuff. You're like, what the fuck is with this gang, man? Mm. You know, you, you just think they're a bunch of fucking nutters. Like, and um, and obviously, yeah, Mel Gibson is um, Mel Gibson, my favorite act, one of my favorite actors. I love Mel Gibson in this film. I think he's, I think he's fantastic in this, even though he only, and I, and I love the other actors like Steve Bisley and um, and I think everyone does a good job in this film, but like, you know, but it's obviously. Uh, I, I, and I'm obviously, I'm not saying he's not good, but do you think Mel is that good in this film? Yeah, he's got a presence. Because I, I, I don't think he's got a lot to do. I think he's got a great presence in this film. Like, he, he, he kind of, he's kind of like, he's kind of like a Western hero in this. And like, he just, and like, he's like, what, 22 in this film? And he just, mm. he, and he, hold, he holds a leading part like that, man. And there's an iconic he's iconic in it he's be- and like don't get me wrong he, he went on to, he went on to give better performances later on in, i think but i still think he's fucking fucking fantastic in this film like he is just that is mad max that that is he is the hero in this film i, I think he's fan- i think he's phenomenal okay do you reckon this film started his love affair running barefoot yes absolutely he had a bit of a thing for it after this because there's at least a couple of other films, isn't there, that he... Well, you've got the it. Lethal Weapon films. I'm looking at his filmography right now, because uh, he's, he's got some class films behind him that old man of. I know, he's, I know that he's had a couple of uh, controversies, but um, 
Come on, I, lo- I love the guy. Well, we're talking about his acting, you know, and we saw... This was his third film he acted in. I'm not going to count the first one because it was an uncredited, an uncredited sort of like background part. Called, it was a film called I Never Promised You a Rose Garden and he played a baseball player. Uh, and then after that, it was a film called Summer City and then he landed the lead role in, in this one. Oh, I tell you the film I couldn't remember last night when we were talking about it, it was Gallipoli. Yeah, I just saw that now. He played Frank Dunn in that. Yeah. He's, he's, he's classy. Look at that. But, um, well, he only went, didn't he, to an audition because his, he went along with his mate. And wasn't it something the story goes that he was in a bar fight or something with a group of rugby players the night before and he'd got beaten up quite bad. So they then asked him to come back because he got beaten up and looked a little bit weird um, for some of the sort of like gang members. And when he mm-hmm. went there, George Miller saw him and he'd obviously healed and didn't have black eyes and what have you. And supposedly thought he'd be perfect for the part. Mm. I don't know how true that story is. I like that story. Let's see. I'm going to play a game now called Mel Gibson Trivia, by the way, quickly. What's the first film Mel Gibson directed? Maverick. Braveheart. He didn't direct Maverick either. Oh, didn't he? <laughs> I, I, if you would ask me that question, I would have said Braveheart, but it wasn't. I know, I know what it is. The Man Without a Face. I've never seen yeah. that. I just remembered that. I've never seen that. I didn't know he directed it. I didn't know he directed anything before Braveheart. Maverick's a good film. We need to do Maverick on Rewind the Movies. Maverick's that's, a great film. That's a brilliant... And is our friend Richard Donner as well, which we've done an episode about. I, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. It doesn't. It's a fucking great film. I love Maverick. It doesn't get talked about ever. I think people often look at Maverick and think, oh, it's the same sort of ilk as um, Wild Wild West or whatever the Will Smith I think... Was. I, I think a lot of people are turned off by Westerns, isn't they? But Maverick's like a really fun... It's a comedy, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's a good one. But yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking at this filmography and I'm just getting a bit lost in it, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> Any more favourite aspects before we move on to favourite scene? No, God, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. Go on, Ad, you go first. I do love the opening car chase in this film. I love the bit when um, when he, when Mel Gibson plays chicken with the guy. And then he's kind of crying in the car because he lost chicken. And then they're obviously the first crash. But also... but. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say because I know what we're all gonna say. The best scene of the film is the is the is the um a handcuff handcuffing his foot to the car at the end and uh, chucking him the saw and being like you have you can you, have, you can you can sort through that in ten minutes or saw through your leg in five. Brilliant, absolutely phenomenal, and that inspired the saw series. That one scene. Oh, I yeah. am absolutely on board with that being the best scene. Yeah, and I yeah. got a question about that. Go on. You know the time he gives him. Yeah. Five minutes to cut three legs, ten minutes to cut through the chains. Did it matter? Do you think no. Mel knew he was going to blow in two minutes? Yeah, of course he did. I think it would have been an added bonus. I, I like to think that he was midway through sawing through his leg, so he died in, in extra agony. Because that guy was a prick, and he deserved every... That bit when he leaves the... Well, that bit when, he's, when Goose is trying to knock him out in the prison, and he's leaving, and he's all like, nah, 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 nah. I'm just like, I'm fucking arsehole. He, he's another, he was another good actor, though. Tim Burns, who played that guy, Johnny. Yeah, he's knobbing. Yeah. Absolute knob end. Good performance, huh? But Is yeah, it? that's my that's my favourite scene. But like Lee Wanell and um, James Wan, when they were writing, when they when they clubbed together to uh, obviously write the Saw film, the first Saw film, they, say, they said, but like, them imagining, oh, can you imagine having to saw your own leg off? If you were chained to like a pipe or chained to a chained to an object or whatever, can imagine how intense that would be. And that's sort of what started the Saw franchise. I've always thought that was really cool, like how like that one scene. Because I, I I quite like the first Saw film. I know the other ones are a bit naff, but uh, still pretty good. The, the, he's missing something there, though, isn't he? Because what's the other handcuff? One bit on his ankle. What's the other bit on? The car. So, yeah, so would you be better at sawing the car element rather than your limb or the handcuff? It's true, but like, I think the car thing is probably much thicker metal or something. It depends on if, I mean, if he's, if he's chained into a pipe, so like something like the exhaust or something, then maybe the... Yeah, you maybe reduce so much of it and then kick it off. Yeah. Or if it's like, you know, like the inside of a car door handle. I'm not saying he, is, he was that, but... Do you want to know my favourite scene? 
And it's yes, Ad, please. <laughs> it's the scene in the run-up to um to your favourite scene, the bit where he's after the, the head honcho. What's his name again? Toe Jam and Earl or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Toe Cutter. That's it. Um, I just quite like the shots that they have of Mel in the car. Oh yeah, they're just a bit. They're quite arty and the music is decent. I've got an issue. I've got an issue with the uh, that bit of the film, though. What is it? I suppose we we are on the verge of going into picking nits and all that. So you know, or you know, stuff we change. Um, do you know when Mel's on the floor? He's just been shot. Him? Yeah. yeah. When they just run over him, wow. they do. They try, they try to, and they shoot him. No, they don't. They run over his arm. Yeah, because I think they. I think I don't think they were aiming for. I think they were aiming for his body, but they just caught his arm. How can you not get his body? There's two bites. Ad, you cannot defend this, but I can't. What's called? Cool. They're trying. They're just trying to play with him and fuck him over and stuff. That's fine. I like that. If stuff. he's going for a gun, yeah, you either get off the bike and take the gun away from him. You very, run over Mel straight away. This gang are very brazen. They don't the, the Toka gang. They they like to talk. They like to play with their victims before they kill them. All right, and um, I, I haven't they, got I haven't got a problem right with them running over his arm to put you know to mess with him and like eke out his death as it were, but not when he's got a gun right next to him. That's yeah, just they, stupid. It's a very frantic situation. They might not have. They might not have realised there was a gun straight away. Oh come yeah. on, man! You're, you're absolutely clutching. The, the old woman points a shotgun at them, and they just fucking they ride through that. I'm not giving a fuck, and they just oh, ride thank over. Thank you for bringing them. my other point up. They're just like whatever. They don't care. They're savages. They are nutters, man. They just nothing scares the toe cutter gang until you know they get fucking chained to a car. Nothing scaring the toe cutter gang that isn't the defense of them not just running Mel over straight away. They want to play with his dead. They want to play with him before they kill him. They, they're trying to like, they're trying to torture him. They are torturing him. And then Mel is like this. Uh, he's like, not today, guys. You're fucking having it. And then he gets the shotgun. All right, then. Uh, move on. Move on. Quick. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say one other favorite aspect as well. Let's give a shout out to Baby. Who's Baby? The baby or babe? The baby, the, the um, not the not the actual physical baby. I mean the other baby, the one that uh, grabs it in the woods, the um, the, the, the old woman's son. All right, he's just he's just a baby, and he's just like he's just there running around with his big arms and stuff. I, I love that. I love that guy. Um, really one thing it. I noticed on the film this time, and I um, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I didn't just make this up, just before people crash in this film, you have a shot of them with their eyes wide open. Like, oh! It's like an eye-popping scene. They, they got a guy that could actually bulge his eyes out. You know, like, if you've ever seen that Guinness World Records? Yeah, yeah. They got a guy that could do that, or they just, or George Miller knew someone who could do it, so he was like, oh, it'd be cool if I just filmed his eyes going like that. And it's, just it's, it's, it's only like a point. split scene, isn't it? You know, a split yeah. second. It's like three, it's like five frames. It's like, bam. It's like, I love, I love that, because it's like, it just, it just, it just cranks up the intensity, doesn't it? I, I didn't like that. It looked too cartoony for me. Yeah, but I, I like, but that, that's what it's going for, though. It's going for like that high adrenaline, shocking, crazy sort of like crash, like, you know. But that's George Miller for you. He loves his flairy stuff like that. George, look at fucking Fury Road. Right. Okay. Yeah, but for, yeah, hang on a minute now. It's a bit different in Fury Road, Nick, because he had money behind that film, so he could make the film yeah. look the same all the way through. My problem with the eye popping thing in, Mad, in this Mad Max film is that it looks different to everything else in the film. Yeah, but that's what makes the crash more exciting, because, like, you know... For you, like... yeah. We, I'm just saying it doesn't make it exciting yeah. for me. I don't like you. I, I, I was on the fence about it. I'm not entirely sure if I like it or not. Changes, then. I'm going to start, and this is a change, but I think it's an acceptable element of the film, but it does look dated. There's, there's elements of the film which... I don't think look that good these days, but it's a, it's but you got to remember it's relatively low budget, and it's you know it, it's I would suggest like an independent type film. So I although it's, a, it's not really a change, it's just something that I've noticed. And I think the perfect example of this is if you ask George Miller to do Mad Max again, he wouldn't have it look like that. 
if you were both referring to scenes like the bit when he takes off Goose's sheet when he's in hospital and, his, and Mel Gibson's reaction shot with that weird filter in between it, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not low budget, look good at all. Remember that bit with the music and it's all like, bum, 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 bum. It's, <laughs> very, it's very melodramatic in parts, isn't it? That bit is, yeah. It's quite, it's quite soapy. Yeah. But like, you know, this, this from the country where mid neighbours. Ad, can, can we just say, uh, look, I'm going to say this again, right? We both know you love this film, right? We both know that you wouldn't change a single thing. So while me and Andrew were listing a few things here, just sit back and let it just wash over I am. Look, look you, you list them off, like I, but, you know, I feel like I can, if I'm able to kind of like defend something a little bit, you know, I, I'm gonna. I'm there for the listeners. I am the. I am the angry, super mad Max fan listener right now. That's in his house going, "What fuck are they talking about?" <laughs> I'm there for them. All right. So you go on. Second part, the dubbing and the voiceover element of it. Oh, the thing is, though, I, that is that's not the <laughs> film's fault. That's not the history. film's fault because I watched it in the Australian language, uh, like accent even. Because on the DVD you can select you can select between the dubs. Oh, can you? I thought the, yeah. the sound quality was just shit, and they ended up having to redo a lot of it. No, they they um, I think because because they were sounding to America, they were like, we can't have Americans were like, what's this Australian language we're hearing right now? Yeah, so I, I'll go along with Adam on that one. So it's like, just, uh, the the version that I saw, it was it wasn't great. I've seen yeah. that version. I, I've seen that version because that's the one I had on videotape when I was younger. Because I always thought it was like really badly dubbed for years. And when I saw it on DVD, I was like, oh, it is an Australian version of it. And then the one scene which I really, really don't like is him talking about his dad and not being able to tell his dad that he was proud of him. It just, it just didn't work for me. Yeah. What, what's it in there for? What's the relation to anything else in the film, I thought, when I heard that? I'm not, I'm not saying it was a terrible scene, but I'm just like, what's the point of it? It's just, I just couldn't get why it's there, as you say, but also I, I just wasn't on board with it. Like, what? And then he's saying to his wife, like, you know, I, I can't talk to you or, or whatever he was saying. And it's just like, oh, I don't know. It's not for me anyway. That's one thing I would definitely change as that scene. It's not needed in there. I did, I, I cried. What did you guys think about the um did you guys might have started doing this to the well frog I know you're a single man but like Andrew you might know this but knew the um, sign language you ever do that to your oh do but don't get me started on that stuff I was like ah I do that to Liz all the time I'm always like what's it that 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 thing she does to him the sign language I'm crazy about you it's I it's just I couldn't get I couldn't get over it you're a rom-com guy, Frog. That, that stuff's fucking beautiful. What are you on about? Yeah, but I, you wouldn't even see that in a rom-com unless one of them was deaf. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, you know I mean? They're just... It's, Why it's, are they it's, learning it's, sign language? Because it's sweet, all right? It's fucking you know, lovely. Was, no, but that, I, that's my point. There, there was no explanation as to why they were learning sign language and there was no payoff to the sign language in the end of the film. Look, there's not enough languages... For couples to express their love to one another, all right, and like it wasn't cheesy or incredibly corny at all, all right. I don't know why you're both saying that. You got a point there, though, Frog. Why is it there? It's just, I think it's meant to be like a little like couple thing in it. Just like I, I, I think it's meant to be some sort of character trait that you know when writing the George Miller's probably like, oh, this will just you know set this couple apart from other couples we've seen in films, or you know give them some sort of dynamic but again you know it, i don't mind that stuff being in films but when you when you're talking about a, a bloody australian western apocalyptic film i, I got a thing to observe it so obviously this is george miller's first ever movie right and he if you look at the filmography there's nothing before this it's just mad max so that to me says yeah. he probably had never written a screenplay before now, we did another film, which we're going to talk about after this one, which I'm not going to say to spoil it for the listeners, but I'm going to talk about that this point a lot in that episode in that episode as well. But do you think it's a case of, like, he hadn't quite figured out, like, because it is a bit corny, I'm obviously messing around, but do you think this is a case he hadn't quite figured out how to, like, do the character stuff, and he was more just kind of focused on the 
the car stuff and the action stuff a bit more. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not blaming him. I'm not having a go. Um, again, I, I'm very aware that this was his first film and it's a low-budget film as well. And for what he wanted to try and achieve, I think he's done a lot. So I am, when it comes to like criticising or saying things you want to change, I'm taking that all yeah. that on board. Because the second film, is, yeah, that's when he started bringing on Brian Hammett in on writing as well. Right. And Brian Hammond, I think, had written a few screenplays before. So I always think maybe that's why number two is much better because they had a bit more of an experienced screenwriter in with them, right, in the movie. Because yeah. I, I think it's about three or four script writers on number two. So there's a bit more. But he has it's... even less dialogue in number two, doesn't he? I could be wrong number on that was... again. Number two, number two has some uh, great, great quotes in it, though. Just walk away. Like, that guy's voice I could never do. I, I I love that scene where he's like, just walk away. Anything else, Prague, you want to change? This is a personal preference now. So I'm not in any way expecting either of you boys to agree with this. Um, you know how I feel about car chases. I'm not a fan at the best of times. Um, and I wasn't a fan of the majority of them can in I this. Just, can I just ask him, so, and obviously... I'm not saying that you aren't allowed to not like car chase scenes, but what is it about car chase scenes that put you off? What, what, just out of interest, what is it about? Uh, I, I don't know. For the most part, I think I find them quite boring. So, like, is there any car chase in any film you're like, fuck me, that's, that was actually quite good? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. I Like, if there are quite a few car chases I love. Like, I, I'd say Ronin. I really like the car chase in that. Um, we were talking about a film the other week. I can't remember what it was now, and I quite like the car chase now. And, and I will say, Mad Max Fury Road. You could just say that film is a is a is an entire car yeah. chase, but there is stuff happening within the car chase, isn't it? I tell you, the car chase I like was when we did T- Terminator Two, when uh, when he's chasing them with the helicopter and then the massive truck, and Arnie's Arnie's climbing over the back of the wagon to get to the truck. That's why I like that kind of stuff because there's stuff happening within the car chase. If it's two cars, just one behind the other, then I'm. It doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah, I would say I'm a sucker for car chases. I love I love a good car chase. Like films like Bullet. Yeah. And like um and like even as recent as the Raid Two, I love the car chase in the Raid Two. I, I I've always been a big car okay. chase fan. So like um and um I think it's like the, this film, the Lethal Weapon films, is a big one as well. They are oh. chases. I'll tell you a car chase I loved that me and Adam have recently seen. The Batman. Yeah, that's a brilliant I've seen it. That's an excellent car chase scene in the new Batman film, yeah. That is a really good car chase, yeah. Even though, if you've, heard, if you've not seen Batman yet, I'm about to say a spoiler, even though Batman fucking kills everyone. <laughs> yeah, there's carnage on the highway, isn't it? I know, it's like, I mean, how many people did Batman just kill then? Like, you know, I don't think I think there must have been one fatality in there, like 80 billion cars exploding behind him, but whatever. Yeah, um, I've got some things I'd want to change in this. Shut up, I do, yeah, I do. I reckon, right, this would be a much stronger film. It's already a strong film, but I do think it would be a much stronger film if they killed the family earlier and had more be more of a revenge story. So, if they killed Goose and the pit and the family in the first 40 minutes. And the other half was a revenge movie. Well, I do you know what I would do personally? I would swap it around and I would kill the family halfway through and Goose dies at the end. Yeah. So like Goose is all like, Max, no, you can't do this. You can't kill them. And like Or, and or maybe it's Max and Goose as a tag team. Yeah. Trying to get revenge for Max's family, and Goose happens to perish in the process. Yeah, I mean, like, I just think that like. If they had done that, like, because being real, there are some bits in this film you're a bit like, you know, you're watching, you're a bit like, come on, let's just, uh, <laughs> come on, speed up, come on, let's get over this scene now. Let's I will this. say, Ad, I mean, that you saying that means more from you than it does from me on Andrew, I think, because I, I perhaps the listeners aren't fully aware, but you are a, a Mad Max Mad fanatic. But, but mainly all from number two, like, number two is the one I'm like, like, when we do number two on the podcast, then. You think I'm annoying defending this one? Fuck me. You wait till we are in on the two guys. <laughs> I, I, do you know what, right? I will say about this film, it did make me want to watch number two and number three again. Oh, 100%. 100% I, for me. 
I think we definitely need to do a rewind the movie so Mad Max too. Number three is number three is like I I reckon we should do it for all four of them because we can't we gotta do. I'm up for watching Fury Road any day. Do them all four of them in a row. Fury Road is a film. Fury Road is a film I love. Eight hours worth. I love Fury Road, but um, I, 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 you'll never get me calling Mad Max Fury Road. It's just Fury Road. It's not a Mad Max film. It's not a Mad Max film. It's not Marty. It's not Mel Gibson. What else you got, Ad? Come on, let's think about wrapping this up. Um, that's pretty much my only change, really. Um, more saxophone. More saxophone. <laughs> One final change for me. Another woman when she runs away with the baby. Yeah. She runs down the road. They're yeah. on motorbikes. Just run left or right in a field. Yeah, yeah. But There's less chance of them catching up with you. I'll defend this. Um, a lot of snakes in Australia, so you know you don't want to get your foot. You don't want to get your foot bitten. There's more chance of uh, surviving a motorbike running you over than a. Than more a chance snake. of a black widow spider, whatever they call them. Yeah, I. But my mother, my mother lives in Australia. I've been there. Snakes are everywhere out there, but they're all over the place. Do you, do you know what I would have done with the wife's death? I would have had her playing the saxophone as she died. <laughs> as a ghost in the background, like yeah. Star Wars. Type. Max comes into the house and all he can hear is the faint, faint puffs of the sax every now and again as it, uh, on her dying breaths. The saxophone noise, it's not even a tune, it's just the noise just leads Max towards her. That's how he finds where she is. It is a sad scene when she, uh, rest in peace. I do like the way they filmed that, though. That they didn't actually show... I, I know they probably did it for budget reasons, but I, I quite like that they didn't show her getting hit or the baby hit. You just and when Max runs to them, the camera stays far away. Yeah, yeah. so you don't actually know how she died. Yeah, they, they could have like chopped it in half with a machete for, for but so that bit's left and unknown. So it's good. Right. Final question. We always ask this. Would you recommend Ad? Absolutely. Prog? Uh yeah, I think I would. Yeah, it's it. I have issues with the film, and it's not as good as I remember it being. But I, I did still enjoy it, so I would. I'll echo that. I would recommend it, especially if someone hadn't seen it before and they're well into their film. So yeah, definitely. But I would say, I would recommend number two more. Like if someone was like, giving all right, a dad, fucking hell, like we know you someone, like number two. No, no. But if they haven't seen Mad Max and they're a bit like I'm a bit funny, if they're a bit funny funny about 70s films and they don't like me like the older films that much, I would slap number two in front of them straight away and be like, just watch number two because that's a much better film to get into, I reckon. Well, if we're going to, if we're just going to nominate, you know, nominate uh, any Mad Max film, then I'd give them Fury Road. No, I'd give them Beyond the Thunderdome. <laughs> just for Tina Turner. Rob, you're saying that just to wind me up. I know you are. And I, I'm not, I don't appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Final fact from me. Um, it was composed and conducted by Brian May. It's not the Brian May. No, it's not the, the Brian May. But I got really excited when I found that out. When I saw it on the opening credits, I was like, what? Brian May from Queen? You know, I fought for years for Brian May from Queen to the fucking soundtrack to this. <laughs> and I dropped it in. So I dropped it in one day in a conversation. It's like, did you know uh, Brian May from Queen did the score for Mad Max? And they were like, no, you fucking idiot. It was someone else called Brian May. And I was like, oh. I had uh, um, embarrassing situations. As I oh. I'm definitely on that bombshell. Let's wrap up. So podcasts come out every Wednesday. Uh, check out our social media and check out our YouTube channel as well. If you want us to do a film in the future, just let us know. Cheers, all.